1: Grace and peace to you, and welcome to Reaching for Real Life with Sean Ozzaro, the senior pastor of River City Community Church in San Antonio, Texas. Now, this is a church that exists to help people just like you find the real life you were created for and find it to the full. That's what Jesus promised in John ten ten. And today we continue in this series called The Storyteller. It's the parables of Jesus. It's when it comes to loving your neighbor, you think it's hard to care for the people who live close by. Not a lot of fuzzy love here. The parable of the Good Samaritan drills down on tangible love in action. This Pastor Sean is teaching from Luke chapter 10. And reallife.org has this full message, sermon notes, and series available all for free. But if you feel led to bless this listener-supported radio ministry, then please do. There's a place to give also right there at reallife.org. Today it's part one of the message called, Who is My Neighbor? It's time for Reaching for Real Life Radio.
2: And I want to ask you, have you ever noticed... How in these parables, we see this. Thank you, guys. Appreciate it. We see contrast. Jesus is using contrast in these parables. I mean, think about the ones we've walked through. Think about each parable. And it was dependent on contrast. What's right contrasted to what isn't. The good versus the not-so-good soils. That's where we started out. The worthless versus the faithful servants. The tax collector and the Pharisee, that was a huge contrast. The wise and the foolish bridesmaids from last week. Why do you think Jesus does that? Why do you think he, he kind of holds these up? Some people go, oh, why, why do we have to look at the negative? We, we, shouldn't we just hold up the positive? Why do we have to look at the negative? I want to suggest we learn from both sides of the truth. Think about how you've learned from both positive and negative examples. I mean, uh, we, Lori and I, when our kids were little, we made a habit of watching people parenting. And we learned from really positive role models. And there were some folks that we saw, we loved what they were doing, we loved the results they were getting, and we made a commitment to either watch them and pay attention, or even formally approach them and say, hey, would it be okay if we asked you questions periodically as we come up against things with our kids, because we want to do this right and we like the fruit we're seeing in your family. But we also had some who we watched and quite honestly thought, oh, never want to do that. You see some little hellion throwing a fit in the grocery store, and you go, oh, I could fix that. Mm-mm. And you make a commitment as a young parent. You say, I- I'm not, I'm not going to do that. I don't want that kind of fruit in my child. So I'm not going to invest like that. We watch and see parents that kind of are always just farming the kids off for someone else to raise, and you go, I- I- we don't want to do that. We want to have significant times of investment and training and teaching with our kids. And so you learn from both positive and negative. My journey on leadership, I learned from some great leaders. I got to watch some leaders and see things that they did that really yielded good fruit in their organization and in the people that they led. But there are also some that I made a point to say, you know what? I don't want to do it like that. I don't like the fruit that I see. I don't like the effect that that's having on the people who that leader is leading. And so we learn from these contrasts. And it's important. I think we pay attention. Well, today's no exception. This is a conversation. We're going to look at a conversation Jesus has that moves from what the, the other party wanted to be a theoretical, kind of philosophical, theological conversation, and it moves to a real conversation very quickly. If you have your Bibles, turn to Luke chapter 10. I'm going to pick up at verse 25. We're told, behold, a lawyer stood up to put him to the test. This really is a teacher of the law the teacher of the law, and it was a very recognized role, talked about in the scripture, One of the, a religious leader focused on interpreting the law and teaching the law. Stood up to put him to the test. Make a note of the motive. Put him to the test. And what he says is, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? So this isn't someone who's kind of truly hears in Jesus and says, wow, you have the words of life, what should I do? No, this is someone who says, okay, I'll see what he knows. I'm an expert in the law. I'm an expert in the Hebrew scriptures. And he's going to put Jesus to the test. What shall I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to well, him, What's written in the law? How do you read it? I love Jesus, man. You can spar with Jesus, he's the best. Okay? What's written in the law? How do you read it? And this is an expert in the law. And this is what they did. This was this kind of back and forth rhetorical questions, kind of analytical questions that they would ask to discuss and banter about the truth. How do you read it? And he answered, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind. And you shall love your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus said to him, you've answered correctly. And then the conversation turned. He says, do this and you will live do this, and you will live. But he, desiring to justify himself, he said to Jesus, and who is my neighbor? Jesus then answered him in a most colorful and unique way, and he told him this story. Listen.
3: A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among robbers, who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. brought him to an inn and took care of it. And the next day he took out two dinari and gave it to the innkeeper saying, Take care of him. And whatever more you spend, I will repay you when I come back. Which of these do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers?
2: Jesus ends with that question and the man responds. The one who showed him mercy. It's almost like obviously the one who showed him mercy and Jesus said to him you go and do likewise let's pray Lord I pray that you'd speak to us through your word I pray that we'd hear your heart I pray that we would hear your truth I pray that we would be wise enough to listen and humble enough to respond in obedience we thank you in Jesus name amen we take that story for granted don't we I mean really Oh, it's, yeah, we're discussing the Good Samaritan this morning. That's, that's the, the parable of the storyteller that we're looking at. It was an answer to a theological question in this setting where this teacher of the law, this expert in the law, was wanting to trap Jesus and test him. And Jesus' answer is what we now know as the story of the Good Samaritan. A story that, it's 2,000 years later, we're still t- telling the story. It's a story that has been worked into the fiber of Western civilization. I think we just need to stop and recognize the amazing brilliance and creativity that our Savior showed, and the fact that that story has been held up. It's been analyzed like a gem looked at from all its different facets for centuries. And we get to look at it today. It's a powerful and a colorful story. The contrasts are stark and the applications are abundant. There's all kinds of observations that people will make about the story of the Good Samaritan. The first one is religious leaders are really bad, particularly preachers. You know, you guys obviously made that connection. And worship leaders are no better. I mean, that's because that's what the priest and the Levite were in this idea. the, The priest was the spiritual leader. And the Levite were the attendants, the ministers, and they were involved in the worship in the temple. Once again, the supposed good guys are the ones who fail, and a bad guy, a Samaritan, wins. And it pokes at this idea of public religious leaders and hypocrisy and how dark that can be. And he holds up this Samaritan. And, and we, we know, that if you've kind of heard any discussion of the story, you know any of the history. The Jews and Samaritans did not like each other. The Jews really looked down on the Samaritans. They were the ones who had compromised. As invading nations throughout the centuries came, Judea, the southern kingdom, stayed more pure. The northern kingdom, Samaria, compromised, intermarried, changed their religion. And so there was this deep sense of animosity and mistrust. And the Jews looked down on the Samaritans. And Jesus chose his characters carefully, he did it on purpose. I've told you before, if you were telling the story to a group of Americans today, or a a group kind of in our current conversation, he might have said, and so a Muslim came along, and he, or whichever group he was talking to, he would choose his character. He might say, and then a politician came by, and we'd be like, no way. No, that's impossible. (laughs) Or worse, a member of the media. Oh, my gosh, no. Whoever it is that you want to kind of rip on, he, he chose that person on purpose because the whole story was designed again, like so many of these others, to to have a step back and kind of scramble our brains a little bit and think totally differently. Why did he choose a Samaritan? Why would he choose someone like that? Why does he so often choose the the tax collector, The, the, the despised tax collector, the traitor that we discussed a couple weeks ago? I think because he is underlining and constantly hammering on the danger of self-righteousness you know why self-righteousness is so dangerous because it literally excludes you from grace it puts you outside of grace you're like wait a minute God has grace on everybody he has grace on everybody who wants grace the whole problem with self-righteousness is it's basically the attitude that says I don't need grace a self-righteous person can't repent because they don't think they have anything they need to repent from they literally are cut off from the goodness of God that he offers freely to whoever will come by their own decision to say, no, no, I'm good. <laughs> Thank you, God. I, I'm, I'm sure that's great for other people, people who are weak, people who, who need a crutch. That's, that's fine. But, but I, I, I'm, I'm doing it on my own. That self-righteousness keeps you outside of the grace and the family of God.
1: And this is when we take a quick minute to remind you, you're listening to Reaching for Real Life with Pastor Sean Azaro, a listener-supported ministry of River City Community Church in this message called Who is My Neighbor? The series is called The Storyteller, which is available right now on the sermon page at reallife.org. And while you're there, if you've been blessed by this teaching, your gift of any amount helps this radio ministry continue to help others. Just find the Give tab at reallife.org. This is Reaching for Real Life Radio.
2: I mean, we see the application of these religious leaders. We don't know why they pass by, but just the idea of being too busy, doing good works even, to actually be used of God. Too busy to do the things that are near to the heart of God, because I'm so busy doing for God, or doing for me, or whatever the reason was. Some have tried to make this a theological illustration. Some people have tried to say, well, in, Jesus is just painting the gospel in a, in a story, we're the wounded man in need of salvation. The priests and the Levite represent the law and the prophets and their inability to save, ultimately. The Samaritan represents Jesus, God's salvation who was despised. And I don't know, there's applications that can be made. I, I don't know that that's the main point Jesus was making. I think the main point is much clearer if you step back and look at the conversation before and after. You look at this interaction with this teacher of the law this expert in the law who came to test jesus and the real point here i think is found in the conversation that it emerged from you pay attention to the progression notice how it begins there's this teacher of the law he's listening and so he decides he's going to put jesus to the test you know there was this animosity between jesus and the religious establishment of the day because he taught totally differently the crowds were drawn to him like a moth to the flame because he shared the love of God. And he taught the law unbelievably accurately. But all of the other baggage that had been put on throughout the centuries and the rabbinical teachings and things that were, were ever-increasing kind of ropes and bondage for the people, Jesus just moved, removed them. He accused the teachers of the law and the Pharisees. He said, "He said, oh yeah, you've got the fine points of the law. He says, you, you keep it. You, you, you tithe even on your mint and your spices. And he, he says, that's not bad. Tithing is a powerful biblical principle. That's fine. He said, you're, but you're so meticulous in that, you would never miss that. But on the way to your issues of justice and mercy, you're clueless. You miss the huge parts and you kind of have these little details that you're so meticulous on. And I think that's because we can control that. We can control that. And he says, you are missing the heart of the law. The law that you claim to love. And so there was this constant thing. And so he comes to test or trap Jesus, if you will. And he asks that question, what must I do to inherit life? And what, we, what Luke has kind of clued us to is he's not sincerely asking that. He's wanting to catch Jesus in a violation of the law so that he can discredit and dismiss him. And then Jesus very wisely asked him, well, what do you think? And remember what he says? Well, love God with everything you've got, heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. So he gives a very wise answer. And Jesus, remember what he says? He says, good, go do that and you'll have life. Something about the way Jesus said it. Because remember what it said about the man? It says, and now to justify himself, he asked, why do you need to justify himself? Why do you think, what made him a little bit kind of defensive? Something about how he was there to trap and to spar, and Jesus took that law and just turned it and said, go do that and love God with everything you've got. And then let that love pour out to those around you, and you'll find life. And so to justify himself, he then asked that question, well, well, but, well okay, so who, who is my neighbor? Maybe he knew that he could, quote, He could understand, he could analyze, he could quote different commentators and different theologians on the subject, but the idea of actually ever loving his neighbor hadn't really crossed his mind, other than to quote it. And so, to justify himself, well, well, who who is my neighbor? And then this incredible story. And by the end of the story, Jesus ends with that powerful question, "Who, who do you think truly loved his neighbor? The one who showed mercy on him. Go and do likewise. So now all of a sudden, he's the one asking the questions. The turn and the change. And what Jesus says to him is the key to the story. Do this and you'll live. Go and do likewise. See, here's what I think Jesus is saying love isn't real until you act on it. Love isn't real until you act on it. If you're taking notes, write that down. It's so basic, so simple, so powerful. Love can't be real until you act on it. Remember, this whole story is about love because that's what God's whole plan is all about. God is love. So how do we find life? Love God, heart, soul, mind, and strength, everything you have. It's all about relationship with him first. That's what Jesus later said is the most important commandment. Love God with everything you've got, heart, soul, mind, and strength. And the second is also about love. Love your neighbor as yourself. It's all about love. But what Jesus is saying through this incredible parable of the Good Samaritan is that love isn't real until you act on it. Love isn't real until you do something about it. Up to that point, it's just talk. See, this kind of love is not a feeling. I mean, we love the feeling of love, right? You ever known somebody who you just kind kind of assess? You know, they love being in love. They love being in love. This kind of love is isn't a feeling all right because the feeling when you think about it when you think about love and feeling i I love my wife dearly she is just i delight in her but it's one of those things when i think about it when i think about my love for her and that feeling i feel good and so in a lot of ways that can be about me because i love her i cherish her but see this kind of love goes beyond the feeling and the talk and the conversation this is different There's no beautiful, moving soundtrack that kind of came in while this story's happening. No, no, this is gritty. This is real, like love actually is. Love isn't real until you act on it. I've heard people say, you know, you want to know love, make it a verb. Make it a verb. Make it something you do. A couple observations I think we can make from the passage. First, real love always involves love. specific target real love always involves a specific target and in this case the specific target happened to be an enemy or at least someone who the samaritan was helping someone who likely despised him and jesus chose that carefully See, real love always has a specific target, and Jesus chose the most difficult kind. Someone who you know looks down on you, someone who you know doesn't like you, someone who doesn't approve of you, someone who has spoken poorly of you. He's, that's the example he gives. And you're like, I hate this story. I used to love this story. I hate this story now. Because all of you can think of someone who, if Jesus were telling you the story, he would have put their face, their name into the story. And you're like, dang it. John, don't you have a funny illustration right now? Yeah, no, I I really don't because love always involves a specific target and Jesus chose the most difficult one to illustrate it. After that, everything else is easier. There's no fuzzy loving of mankind here. I, I never trust a person who says, oh, I love mankind, but they hate people. You ever known something like that? They kind of love mankind. They talk about love for the strangers, the aliens, the, the, the immigrant, this one, that one. But they treat everybody they know like garbage. And you're like, God, that's messed up. Okay, there, there isn't any of that. That's not part of this story. There is no, oh, I love mankind, but I don't like people. No, this is, this is, okay, a specific target. Love is isn't real until you act on it. And real love always involves a specific target. See, there's no fuzzy loving of mankind here. Mankind li- lives next door to you. That's mankind. He lives next door to you. Okay, He shops where you shop. He works where you work. Okay, now I'm going to really get into meddling. Mankind is coming to your house for Thanksgiving dinner. And you're like, oh, I could love a Samaritan, but not my brother-in-law, not him. No, no, Jesus, don't. It's too hard. It's too hard. <laughs> That'll bring you to repentance. <laughs> but that's what he's saying. He's saying, it, it's, it, we, we can't throw it around here at church, quote scriptures, quote a Bible verse with our kids, and all that. If we're not willing to say, real love always involves a specific target. Mankind lives up the street. Mankind works in your office, on your job site, wherever it is. That's what he's talking about. And in verse 33, remember what it says about the Samaritan? It says, he tells us two who just passed by, but he says he saw him. And then it says he had compassion on him. Those two things are really big. He saw him, and he had compassion on him. This is challenging because, honestly, I think we're almost too busy sometimes to even see people. We're so busy, and it's not that we don't want to or that in some place within us we don't care. It's we're so busy, so focused on our stuff, our objectives, our goals, our dreams, our plan, our stuff, that we really don't even see people. People become kind of a means to an end. They become a part of whatever particular setting we're in. Okay, there's my work friends, and they're part of. They have a function in this circle, and then there's the people in my neighborhood. They're they're in this circle. There's the the parents on my kid's sports team. They're in this circle, and you know whatever circles you want to name, they kind of just are a part of that, and they serve whatever function they serve there. You know, I love I love networking events. I've, I have a friend who's really into them, so I've gone with him to networking events, and I love meeting people. I love talking to people. It's a great. But I have a, I, I just, I want to encourage people if you kind of go to networking events, just be careful of what can really happen very easily in a networking event. Sometimes we just go with the idea of, oh, these are relationships I can what? I can use. These are people I can use to build my business, to build my client list, to get leads. And relationships become totally utilitarian. And so I don't even see them as people. I see them as leads. I see them as potential clients. I see them as dollar signs. Now, I'm not saying stop going to networking events or stop interacting with people at work or whatever. What I'm saying is stop, pray for a moment, and then open your eyes and see them. Oh, this is a person that Jesus loves. Oh, this is someone he gave his life for. This person is very special our heavenly father he wants a relationship with them badly so much so that he sent jesus to die on the cross and see them through that lens it really changes things when that person isn't just a potential lead for your new business or your new venture that person is an individual who just told you about what they're going through with their teenage kid and it's not pretty and their heart is breaking they're not just another business person there's someone who's hurting or they're going through a divorce and it's tearing them apart or they've gone through a a significant downturn in business and financially they're struggling and they don't know how they're going to make it and they're afraid all of a sudden it's like you see them you know you you just it's like take a take and put another set of lenses on oh i see you're a person
1: That's Pastor Sean Azaro. You've been listening to Reaching for Real Life Radio. And if you'd like to hear this full message in the series, The Storyteller, it's available right now on demand at reallife.org. And there, if you're able to bless back, your financial gift helps this radio ministry continue. Again, look for the Give tab at reallife.org. And while you're there, we'd appreciate your feedback. You can leave us a note on our Contact Us page. Or even better, your financial gift helps this radio ministry continue. Find that Give tab at reallife.org.